Hello, beautiful souls. You're listening to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and angel medium, Julie Jancis. As this episode airs, we are in the midst of COVID-19. Friends, this is tough stuff. There is discomfort and frustration for some, loss and grief for others. And while we're not here to minimize anyone's pain, in the midst of all of it, there is also beauty, love, grace, and compassion in the coming together, kind actions, and rebuilding. We can all see so clearly now that what impacts just one person on one side of the world can impact everyone everywhere. We feel oneness and empathy for one another like never before. This is a massive shift, a global awakening. Allow it to shift and awaken you. Know that as you do, we're here for you, to pray with you, to share your stories, to shine some light, and to help in any way we can as you heal. If you'd like to work one-on-one with me, book a distance session, or take the Angel Reiki School online to develop your own unique spiritual gifts. If you want to hear, feel, and connect with your personal angels more clearly, take my online angel communication e-course. Your angels want me to tell you that you're going to be okay. They want you to put together your own spirit team here on earth, a team of people and resources who can help you in every area where you need support. And we hope that you'll make us a part of your earthbound spirit team. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us be part of your healing journey. Now let's dive into the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We're here with author Dr. Diane Hennessy. She is the author of The ESP Enigma, and I am so looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you for being on the show, Dr. Diane. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So let's talk about this, and let's break this down, because our listeners are used to us talking about hearing from the other side. What is the difference between ESP and psychic abilities, mediumship abilities? Can you kind of break that down for us of what you've found? Well, I'm, I've been very interested in mediumship, and that is not, it's not listed as one of the primary psychic phenomena that's investigated by parapsychologists, but it is investigated by parapsychologists. And the, the difference between psychic psychic abilities and mediumship is that if, if you assume that mediumship is more than just someone being able to read the mind of the person who's grieving, let's say, who's coming to them for uh, contact with their loved one, if, if somebody's telepathic or can, can has psychometry, which is an ability to touch things and then actually sort of go back in space-time to the place where that object was and, 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 and see what happened. So, you know, somebody who's got psychometry is able to take uh, an object from a murder scene, let's say, yeah. and touch it and then get a download of all this information. And so what's different with mediumship is that that implies more. It, it takes it to another level because it implies, if it's not just a psychic ability, it implies that there really is something that after after this life, that, that that the soul can continue on. You know that that's kind of one of the premises behind mediumship, as opposed to just being being able to you know spin a spin a fantasy that you're going to buy into because I can otherwise access other kinds of information. And so, is there the ability to read minds? Because that is one of the biggest questions I think people have. Is okay. Well, when you're tapping into this energy and let's say a person has both parents on the other side, are you just reading their mind of, of that information or are you really tapping into the other side? What scientific studies have been done to really dive into this and to show whether or not somebody is reading a mind versus connection with the other side? Well, um, first of all, um, one of the things is is that there's something that people label super psi, meaning you know somebody if somebody were s- so super telepathic 
it would be, it, they could access a lot of the same information. And so it, that's been one of the confounding variables in setting things aside. And so people have put a lot of energy into trying to come devise experiments in which you could you could get around that. And we do know that super psi exists. And what I mean by that is I do research on autistic children and their and their primary caregiver, usually sometimes it's a teacher, who in working with them discovers that this child is accessing their thoughts. And so I've, I've actually done controlled research trials on that. And th th these kids are, I mean, astoundingly accurate. And so they, they really suggest that this phenomenon that gets labeled sort of su super sight uh, really can, can exist. And because most telepathy experiments have, uh, you know, it, it may be at best a 60% uh, over what would be expected chance. I mean, you know, it, it's not like something that just knocks you right over. Yet at the same time, it, it, it you know it's compelling evidence, and so I, I that's why I started working with these autistic savants because I felt like we really need to see if someone has that ability. And the reason why I chose autistic savants is because they have these extraordinary abilities to access information that we don't understand how they do it. They 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 are extraordinary. I mean, people who can solve mathematics problems, complicated mathematics problems, who never learned how to do math, or who can read and speak multiple languages without ever having been exposed to them. How, how do they have this information? Right. And, and, and so then what, so if you can access that kind of information, I mean, what's to prevent you from finding out anything you would need that, um, you know, that you're going to say, well, that's only my uncle could have known that because a person that psychic could just be, you know, you know, just reading that, you know, if, if, if you think about it, it being that maybe being psychic is that what you're doing is you're navigating space time, you know, that you're sort of like almost like a time travel or, you know, and someone who's like engaged in non-local things because space, it may be that it's not just our, our sense of time is erroneous, but our sense of space is also erroneous. And, and that's what a lot of the great wisdom teachers teach us is that this is all an illusion. And what they mean by that is, is our sense of separateness and our sense of everything being, you know, everything is really interconnected. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's that one argument. But there have been people who've tried to get around that. And, and, and what they've done is they've come up with experiments where you would have to have more than one per spirit from the other side providing a piece of the puzzle of information. So, so, you, so for example, you know, three scientists who are parapsychologists make a pact that they will, you know, that that they will try to find someone they can all communicate with after they die, and they each have a piece of this puzzle, okay, and nobody knows about it except for them, and each of them doesn't know the other piece of puzzle. puzzle. Right. Wow. Right. And, and, and so then you have somebody who's a medium access all three and, and give you something like that. That's like, wow, because that's not just reading one mind or I mean, that 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 becomes a much more difficult thing to explain by just super sci. I mean, it, it, an easier explanation is yeah. to say maybe there really are, you know, there really is this thing where consciousness continues to exist and beyond, you know, beyond the death of the body and 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 so um and th those experiments have actually been done and uh you know the details are you know the details are out there and, and you know but they're not as important as just understanding the kind of experiments that have been thought through because it really is um, confounding variable that is so fascinating that it would be structured that way and all come together that way. What's interesting is how you talk about time and space because I call it, it's not like time travel. It's like skipping time. You can skip to the future. You can skip to the past. And it almost feels in a way, and this happens all the time in every session, because as I work with clients, I see their whole spirit team on the other side, angels, guides, and loved ones, how they really are a collective force over there helping guide us, direct us, protect us. And what happens so often is they'll skip time back into the past or into the into the future 
But when they do this, it feels almost like that Christmas story where Ebenezer Scrooge takes him into the past and he's showing him. And you can almost look at it from outside the window uh, and see what's happening. You can see it all playing out. And I get this so deeply. I wish I could just kind of allow people to be in my mind sometimes just for a moment to feel how the other side perceives time. And I haven't thought about it as space, perhaps, but that's really interesting too, because they said it's not something that our brains are able to comprehend, right? I mean, we just are linear beings within the capacity of our consciousness that we are at right now. But on the other side, it's not that way. It's all one. And it's almost as if you had a bubble that you hold and everything's happening all at once. And that's actually how they describe pretty much the highest level of consciousness or heaven per se, is that everything is all one over there. And it's not like, because I'll have people say, when I try and describe this and I go into conversation, they'll say, but I don't want to go to that level and not be with the people I love. And they laugh at that and they chuckle at that because they said, you're with everybody all at once. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing is that there's this confluence of what spiritual teachings tell us. Um, a lot of the Eastern traditions, they say everything is all one. And, and, and people who achieve these mystical states will say, describe it as realizing there is no separation. Everything is all one. And then, and then there's also, you know, mathematics, you know, which, and physics, you know, which is leading us towards starting to, to, to think about things that way as well. You know, just seeing how when you, when you, there was an experiment in physics that was done in which you had, and, and it started out as just a mind experiment, you know, a thought experiment, just like what Einstein would do would be thought experiments. And, and, and what, it, and they've since proven it. And what it is, is that if you have two, let's say you have two electrons that are paired with one another, in a state that we call entanglement, and you do something to one of the electrons to change its characteristics, you know, ch- change the spin, you know, change, and simultaneously, the other one will undergo a complementary shift so that they're still um, complementary to one another. And they can be light years away. And so, so then you have to go, well, how is that possible? Because nothing can travel faster than the light. And this is happening simultaneously. And, 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 and so then it was realized, uh, and, and, and physics has since gone to this position, although it's, it's hard for the, our mind to grapple what that really means. But, it, but it's gone to this position of, you know, and, and I have this, this idea about it too, is that, it, that they really are never separated in the first place. That's the only way that I think you can explain non-locality. And if you think about there being multiple dimensions, that, but that we, because of our sensory system, can only perceive three physical dimensions, and we can only, we, most of us only perceive time as moving forward, then we're kind of locked into a, you know, like a, a relationship with space-time that's almost like just a, you know, the linearity of a movie reel. Yeah. In which you're not allowed to rewind it. You just you can just go this way. Right. But then you do have these phenomena that that like future memory in which people get a as vivid of a an experience of the future as people who have flashbacks have a re, vivid reliving of the past. And then the, and then the future comes and then they re- experience it again and they know exactly what's going to happen next. And so, so, so one of the things that I've done is, I mean, I studied mathematics and physics uh, when I was younger and I have a brother who's a physicist, but then I, uh, I've always been interested in the mind and consciousness. And when I started to study as a psychiatrist, some of these phenomena and, and started running into patients who recorded some of these things. I was I was fascinated because I thought this could be that 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 we as human beings are uniquely positioned to be able to do that kind of navigation through consciousness in a way that is 
perhaps unique to us uh, that, 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 that we can do that kind of time-space travel. But not unique to us as a species in the universe, but that we're not aware of that with other animals. We're not, we're not, and, and, and it would be very disorienting for an animal to be dislocated in space time, you know, whereas with us, we can integrate that kind of an experience. Yeah. So there are so many people who believe in multiple lives, right? And every time I go into this with spirit, what they show me is like a lined piece of paper, like let's say college ruled piece of paper. And if you say each line is a lifetime, right? But that this entire piece of paper is existing all at the same time. Is it possible then that each one of those lives is occurring at the same time, just in other dimensions, parallel universes? Yeah, I, 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 I think that that's quite possible. I mean, because we can't, it's really hard to think of a mechanism by which you could have a soul express itself in one lifetime and then, um, and then go into some kind of dormancy Go, go, and then and then pop up somewhere else <laughs> yeah. in a totally different you know culture, different language, different time period. You know everything is different, yeah. and so so to think about how you know what could be the vehicle that, to, to transmit that soul, that kind of thinking I, I believe is where people uh, err. That that's where they, that leads them down because the, they're not asking the right question because that. That, that, that it becomes so locked into our sense of a soul being contained within a body that to think that it has to then have some other kind of vehicle by which it then, you know, can be transported to, say, another life. And I, so I, I think that the, my, my way of sort of hypothesizing about you know, how reincarnation could occur and, and be compatible with current science is, is to really think of it in terms of um, that we're not thinking about time properly, that really it was said that time is what keeps everything from happening at once. And, you know, and, you know that's all time is. And, and reality is, is that, that the past, present, and future all coexist. Yeah, and so then that means that all of those past lives are coexisting, and and I think of that the way I think of it is I think that fractals are a good sort of uh, analogy. Uh, what to, are fractals? To, to to reincarnation, what a fractal is is that it's something that's they're generated by mathematical sequences that are like the Fibonacci sequence. Okay, which you find a lot in gen- in nature. So if if you look at the way that the seeds of a sunflower are organized, or the um, components of a pine cone, or you look at a nautilus shell, um, and you see the chambers, what what you see is this sort of spiral, and you and you see it where it it starts out one thing, but it gets it changes over time, and yet it's always looks the same. If you if you focus in on what what it looked like. When it first started out, it, it, that is like a miniature of what the large thing is, and, and it is able to build upon itself in a way that it maintains that character. And so, if you, if you look at, uh, if, if you look up fractals, uh, it, 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 you'll see what I mean by the idea that. So, if you think of the, the first life, you know, if you think of time as being something that that really is. It's not from here to there, but you think of it as all being at once, and then you're looking at a you're looking at a visual that the spatial representation, and you're seeing that it's the same thing, only it, it's it's transforming through time, it's spiraling, it's evolving, and 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 so although the past, present, and future all coexist, it's also there's been an evolution from from one to the other and 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 it's that evolution and that change that makes this time such a compelling concept for us because if if i'm sitting at somewhere where i'm not having much of a change in what i'm looking at time passes differently because i'm not having something that's changing in front of me to give me a sense of the passage of time okay i'm having a couple of aha <laughs> on all of this like okay so let me see if I have this correct. So what they're showing me too and what I'm kind of a uh, here is 
going back to what you were saying about those two pieces that can be light years away, but Mm -hmm. that they impact one another. Mm -hmm. So if it is true that we're having all of these lifetimes simultaneously, then does it relate back to those two things that are impacting each other, you know, from light years apart? Like what I'm doing in this lifetime, is that impacting what's happening in all of the other lifetimes that are living parallel to this one? Does that make sense? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, you know, the whole idea of, I mean, impact implies causality. Okay. And, 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 and so in the double, you know, in the double slit experiment and in these, and, and in the one that I just described about the entanglement of two electrons. Okay. I mean, you know, there, there are these things that are teaching us that our concept of, you know, of cause and effect is it's hard to separate from consciousness itself. So when, when you do the double slit experiment, let me explain that. Yeah. What happens is, is that if you are, if you're shooting electrons, let's say, or light particles towards two slits that are separated, if you are not recording and, and, and there's, you're shooting them and it only can go through one or the other, okay, because it's a particle, if, you know, it's with the concept, you know, if it's a particle, it would only go through one or the other. If it's a wave, it'll go through both simultaneously. And what they found is that if you weren't measuring it, if you weren't observing it, then it acted like a wave and it would go through both slits simultaneously and that it would create a wave interference pattern on the measuring thing in the back. But if you watched it, it would choose one or the other. <laughs> so what you have is this relationship with, with everything that is, you can't, consciousness is interacting with this whole world. Okay, so if you're, so if you're saying, you know, do you impact something, you know, well, through, through your consciousness in this lifetime, okay, it, conceivably, you know, because your consciousness is that powerful. But we don't know that it's not just that everything is interconnected and, 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 and it may be that, that, that um, they're not really separate. Okay. And if they're, if they're not, and if you're not really separate, then it's it's more like consciousness is distributed rather than it, it being you know here affecting that it's more like it's 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 distributed in each one of those lifetimes so that experiment that you were talking about does that kind of bring up the question about free will like do we have free will i really do believe that we have free will but i i believe that that free will is locked into what we call the present. So it's in the moment that we exercise our free will, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and if the future already exists, okay, then, then, you know, then that gets you into that, you know, so, you know, well, was it predetermined? Right. But, but you, have to, you have to realize that, you, you, that, that there still is, it's sort of like having a, it, it, it's like by definition that the present is like the center of the black hole. It's where that creativity occurs from and everything kind of comes out of that. Yeah. If that makes sense. It, I'm using yeah. that as an analogy. It's sort of it's sort of like it's only then. It's it's sort of like when you're watching a movie, you know, in that moment that act that you're seeing and captured in the movie, that person had free will when they were doing what they did, but but you looking at the movie, it's it's it, there's, you know, parts of the movie you've already seen. There's parts of the movie that haven't happened yet. So it's, you have to be able to wrap your head around the idea that it could be both of those things. That's fascinating. The way that spirit shows it to me, and I wish like I had studied more science, right? Like in right. high school and college, because there's so much more that I would love to be able to just wrap my mind around. A spirit really describes it in this very simplistic way where I've gone into it in meditation and they show me they will not make decisions for people, right? Like sometimes people come to me and they're like, well, should I take this move across the country? Should I marry this person? Should I do this? And they say, we can't make that decision for you because that would strip you of your free will. So you have Mm -hmm. to, and I'll help my clients come to and see within them, help them go within themselves to find what they're feeling, but they won't let 
me tell them an answer because it strips them of their free will. But what they show me, so kind of like that thing that you were saying, we have in the moment our ability to choose what we're going to choose. But then spirit from the other t- side and your spirit team has the ability, I'm from the era of VHS tapes, to like fast forward <laughs> into the future and see what your choices were, right? Mm-hmm, because they mm-hmm. have no timer on the other side linearly. So they're That's able right. to see what you chose. Um, That's right. But they kind of had this glass wall up between uh, the person in that realm of making that decision right now and showing you what happens in the future. Because if they were to give you that future image, they say it would take away the choice in the here and now. Yeah, that, I believe that. I really believe that. that that's very well articulated because I, I, I agree with it. That's kind of, you know, it's sort of like... Our concept of, you have to realize that the concept of time having this linearity to it is, is, is a human concept. Yeah. <laughs> and, and on the other side, time, time and space separation doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so, that's, so it's really there that they, that, that, that they coexist simultaneously, but in the human body, there's free will. Fascinating. So talk to us more about the work that you've done researching all of this and some of the bigger discoveries that you've made. That's a, that's a pretty uh, broad question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, you lend yourself to, you know, a lot of, lot of, lot of information here. You know, I don't think your listeners want to listen that long. But but I, I'll tell you some one of the things that maybe they'll be interested in. Is, oh yeah, I would love that. So in working with these children, these autistic savants who are um, telepathic, what was interesting for me was to discover that the ones who were the most telepathic were the ones who had their development of language expression, but not reception, but expression, which are separately mapped out in the brain. What does that mean? Expression versus reception. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so there's different types of when you have a child, let's say, you know, what's happening is, is the, these children, their language disappears. Okay. Um, and they're, at, you know, they're developing normally and then they go into a regression, usually around the age of uh, one and a half or two. And then, and then they oftentimes can, cannot speak or, or write very effectively. But by the time they're able to type into a, a computer, then you actually see that their language is further developed than what you realize. Because if you can't express your language, but you're still there listening to people talking and, 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 and you're, you could be picking up language. So that's what I mean by language reception and expression is your ability to express language, either being able to use your mouth or use your hands. And so, so, so it turned out that a lot of these children whose language development was interrupted, it, it turned out it was in the expression and it was more related to the muscles in their body and ability to control them th- than it was about their understanding. And so what, what I found is that those children are the ones who appear to be the most telepathic. And, and I think it's because of the fact that they were put in this position of at, at, a, at an age when language is developing, they were put in a position of wanting to communicate with those around them and, 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 and whoever's around them wanting to communicate with them. And so you've got a lot of motivation there to, to, to be able to do it. And if language is a hindrance, then it, it's a perfect setup for two individu- one individual to become really good at mind rating and the other individual to become really good at, you know, trying to send, the, you know, what their thoughts are. And, you know, and it turns out that um, this, is such a, this is so common that it makes me wonder whether or not we're all born with telepathy and that when language is a capacity and, and that when language develops, that it, it actually um, seduces us into using that language. And then the other one just goes underground kind of like a, you know, cause it, it's not, it's not as necessary. So how does telepathy relate to empathy in your view, like empathics? So, so telepathy in, 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 in general, so an empath, they, they share that root word of path, okay? And, and path, 
relates to, you know, feelings. Okay. And so the empath, you know, is able to feel the feelings of someone else. Um, you know, they, and I, I think that's that you get into some kind of limbic resonance with them. You get, you, you basically are, if, if they're anxious, you start to feel it in your body. Let's say I'm a strong empath. That's what happens to me is that I can tell how somebody's doing by just what it is like to be in the same room with them. You know, without that could be there still as can be, not saying a word, but I can I I sense the feeling of you know whether if they're anxious or calm and 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 not unique that way. There are a lot of us who do that. Uh, whereas telepathy, it, it's it's more about um, so even though it has that path word in there, it it it's used more technically to mean being able to access the thoughts of someone else. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes there's no emotion attached to it. However, the the circumstances under which people who normally wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't say I have, you know, telepathy, and they're just, you know, ordinary people in that regard, that the instances in which people have had telepathic experiences are oftentimes when it's, there's a crisis with someone they love and, and they get, you know, oftentimes they get a body sensation. There's lots of accounts of twins who are separate from one another and one of them gets in an accident and the other one at the same time, they get a, you know, they, they, they get pain in, the, in, a, in an area that the other person was injured in. I mean, there's even a case of these twins where they were playing on a playground and one of them fell and both of them got bruises. And <laughs> the other one didn't fall. And so that, that kind of gets back to that you know, idea of you know, you know, how separate are we really? And, and if you're that really interconnected with another person that you know, they've been there since the, you know, inception, and you started out as part of the same egg. I mean, uh, you know, that, that, that connection is just extreme. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. When it comes to what you were saying before about you being highly empathic, one of the things that they were showing me is that um, most people tend to feel other people's feelings, right? Like you were saying, you can sense it. One of the things that they're showing me that you had early on in your lifetime was this barrier between what you knew to be your energy and what was theirs. So you you don't take it on as your own. Mm-hmm. You see it as being theirs. How did you learn to do that? And how do you do that? <laughs> well, that's a good question. That's interesting. I, I, I guess I, I've been doing it for so long, I never asked myself, how did I do that? I, yeah. But you know, it, it could. I mean, it. I, th- I think it's a it's a gift of mine. I I think that you know part of it might come from this uh, that I I grew up in a family in which neither of my parents ever had a problem telling me how they felt about something, both the good and the bad of it. <laughs> so I had lots of <laughs> I, had, I had lots of pairings of what it felt like to be with them. <laughs> when they're telling me exactly what they thought. <laughs> and then, and then you know, as a psychiatrist, you know, uh, you know, being a therapist for so many, I don't know, thousands of people, you know, you, you just, you get really good at it. So. Interesting. That's fascinating. I can empathize with that too. My mom was the exact same way. She would just kind of say what was ever on her mind. I have this nose like my dad's with a big like bump in it. And um, I asked her, I think I was about third grade at the time, you know, is my, does my nose look okay? And she literally goes, well, when you get older, if you want to get a nose job, you can get that done. I remember just like the sink inside my heart of like, that was not the answer. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And there's yeah. no taking back that answer either, you know. <laughs> no. Never got that done, but we'll never forget that one. Uh, but I think what's what's interesting about your work is that of what I'm seeing um, through our conversation is just that from, you know, a a child being autistic and it develops that extra sensory of, of the telepathy and from a child being in a family situation where maybe you weren't able to speak as much or you, you were in a position where 
you just had to navigate around sensitivities with your parents, you learn this empathy, right? And you learn this reading of people's feelings and emotions to kind of sense, I I know I did as a a young person, I didn't want to make any noise, right? I didn't want to. Yeah, yeah. Well, you pair that with, I mean, with me, you know, just hearing you talk made me think of some other things that probably contributed to this. And one of them was that um, my father was a, he was a scientist and he had three graduate degrees in science and did a postdoc and so he did all of these different things that meant that as a child growing up, we were moving across the country following my father's career. And so I, I grew up in this country in places that were culturally extremely different from one another. I mean, uh, you know, I went from, I went from being at Hanford Reservation out in the desert where there weren't any other people hardly at all. My dad was doing research on the effects of radioactivity on wildlife and helped to get that banned. And and then um, we went from there to Seattle, Washington. And I had no idea there were all these people in the world. Uh, and, it, you know, it's very different from being out in the desert. And, you know, and then went from Seattle all the way to New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just outside of New York City. Mm-hmm. And then went from there to central Ohio. And, yeah. and, and, and so... What happened was, is this was at a time when the country wasn't, now with the internet, there, places don't look that different from one another. You've got all these big chain stores, uh, everybody's sort of seeing the same fashions and whatever. But what I, things were, what people did with their time, how they spoke, very different, how people dressed. And so what it did was it was almost like being a child growing up in Europe and having a parent taking you from one country to another and you're always having to learn well how did how does this work yeah <laughs> what, what what are the rules here <laughs> because because nobody was explaining it to me i'm just a kid having to go to public school right. and you're trying to fit in with other kids because that's what kids try to do and yet nobody's explaining to you this is how this is how our culture works because they they all grew up in that so they didn't so they're just doing it. And I'm looking and going, you know, I, I'd never watched sports. I, I, in New Jersey, we always took dance classes. And so, so, and, and then we moved to Ohio in sixth grade and they just assumed you knew how to play uh, dodgeball, field hockey, basketball. (laughs) And I was just put assigned on these teams and nobody ever explained to me what the rules were, what we're doing. (laughs) So, so, so I had not just at home that kind of seeing things paired, but I also had, I was put in this position of trying to figure things out in a way that, and it puts you in a more observer stance. And when you're in that observer stance, you you can gain deeper insight into things than you do if you're, you're caught up in it. That's really fascinating. I hadn't thought about it that way, but we moved a lot. Uh, as a child as well. And that really puts a lot of it into perspective. Because my mom's always said that I'm an extrovert, but I love being at home. (laughs) This quarantine thing, I could do it all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And I actually have this vivid memory, which kind of takes me to my next point, but mixes in with the moving. I have this memory of walking home from middle school one day, and we knew that we were going to be moving from Virginia to Louisiana. And I looked across the street, and this kid was wearing this Bulls coat back in the 90s when the Bulls were all the rage. And this voice inside me, which now I recognize the difference between um, my ego mind and my intuition, which is really spirit talking through me the voice said, you're going to be moving to Chicago. And I go, no, we're moving to Louisiana. And instead of moving to Louisiana, there were some shakeups and we did end up moving to Chicago. And it all happened just very quickly. What is that? You know, I know that it is spirit, but how do you, like, how have you studied it as a scientist? Everybody has it. Everybody has this intuitive sense what do you know about it scientifically, though? This intuitive voice that tells us things. That's a good question. I mean, and, and it's, it's kind of a hard thing to study scientifically, really. One of the things that I like about having become a physician, 
I still practice on a, on a part-time basis and, but I've been, I mean, I've been a, a doctor for, um, since 1983. That's when I graduated from medical school. So it's a long time of being a doctor. And one of the reasons why I like being a, a doctor was that in, in, in medicine, there, there's a tradition of science being advanced through case studies, through, through, whereas, I mean, a lot of science, you know, when people think of science, they, they think of the hard sciences, and, and I've done that too, and, and you're in a chemistry lab or biology lab, and you're, you know, you're having to measure things and observe them and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's also an act of observation when you are a doctor working with patients who are telling you their stories. And, and so, um, so I'd say that what's informed my sense of intuition in a sci- and as a scientist has been really more through my, my practice as a doctor huh. and, and, and really sort of examining it so from my own experience of it, because I'm, I'm very intuitive as well. I mean, I wouldn't hang a shingle saying I'm a psychic, but, <laughs> but, but I am very intuitive. And, and so paying attention to that inner process. And, and, and a lot of the, when people first started studying consciousness, I mean, how they were studying it was through studying their own mind. And, and, and that's what a lot of people who study these Eastern traditions, I mean, they're studying their own experience of consciousness. And so in working with patients, I've really kind of observed how, how intuition works and but but the mechanism behind that you know that voice, it, it's it's you know I could come up with a theory about it, but I mean it, you know it's hard to prove certain types of theories. But I mean one one of the things to know is that um, intuition is predominantly ex- uh, an expression of right hemisphere skills. You know, so the, the left hemisphere is more associated with logic, mm-hmm. linear thinking. Um, analysis, you know, just sort of, and, and, and a lot of people who are engineers and, and are verbal thinkers, I mean, they've, they really are using a lot of left hemisphere skills, but th- the problem is, is that the left hemisphere inhibits the right hemisphere, and, and the right hemisphere is the hemisphere associated with intuition and with emotion, so it's one of the reasons why those two seem to be paired together, you know, that if you care more about someone or something, then you're more likely to, 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 to be activating some of that intuition. Mm-hmm. If you care too much, you might inhibit it because you, you, you get too, too emotional. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's like the right amount, of, um, right amount like that. And then to think about it in terms of, you know, if you, if you think that what we're doing is we're really in, in intuition, we're really trying to, Whatever it is, whether it's an intuition about another person, intuition about what's going to happen next, some of those things are, you know, we use that term intuition as being kind of like a watered-down ESP. You know, we're really talking about being able to just dip into the, the future a little bit, you yeah. know, or, 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 or read the mind of somebody a little bit, you know, just to get a sense of, well, where are they coming from? So, it's, so we, that word is oftentimes used in, in that sense. And, and I think, that the, the people who are the most highly intuitive are people who have well-developed right hemispheres. And, and that's one of the reasons why you, you find like, you know, a lot of people that are left-handed, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll find that people who are artists and, and you know, and, and people that use the right hemisphere more, people who are more um, emotionally, you know, empathic, that, that they oftentimes end up being more intuitive. And, and it's that, and then also the frontal lobes of the brain inhibit the back, the rest of the brain. And that is the section of the brain that's associated with thinking of consequences. And it tends to, along with like the left hemisphere, it tends to um, sort of inhibit things that, that thinking about things that are, you can either get too scared about something and obsess about it and your uh-huh. frontal lobes are overactive, you know, or it can be that you just kind of turn off your frontal lobes and because you can't handle thinking about all the potential consequences. And, and people with ADD, their frontal lobes are not as well developed yet, but a lot of people uh, outgrow, that, outgrow that. And so oftentimes people with ADD are more intuitive. 
and, and, and so, so there's, so there's, we can think about people's brains as being different. And that's why some people are more intuitive than others. And, and that's been part of what my work that I talk about in the ESP enigma is, is that I was as a neuroscientist and as a neuropsychiatrist and a psychotherapist and a parapsychologist and you know, person been wanting to understand these questions. I said, well, what's different about the, you know, the, the wiring of the brains of people who have this gift more than others. And, and that's what made, led me to initially predict that autistic savants would be the, the most in tune. Hmm. That's fascinating. Because autistic savants, are they lacking frontal lobe activity? So all children, and, and this is why I'm studying children, all children have, um, if, they're, if they're under the, under their teenage years, okay. um, and their brain hasn't, you know, gone through all the myelination of the frontal lobes to the, the, the rest of the brain. So all children who are under, like, say, 12, um, their frontal lobes are not as active. And so it's, it's when the frontal lobes start to become active during adolescence, you know, that, that that's, you start to see adolescents questioning things and going, well, why is it this way or whatever? <laughs> because, oh, interesting. Um, and, 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 but they also have better, you know, they can have better impulse control. You know, whereas a younger child, it can be harder for them to control their impulses. So that's why I'm looking at children. And then why autistic uh, children is that autism is a condition in which usually the left hemisphere is compromised in some way. That's the hemisphere we usually associate with language. And so, that, so that's more compromised. And if you look at a lot of savant skills, they're right hemisphere skills. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, so it's, it's exactly what I'm looking for, where you, you have less inhibition of the, of the, the right uh, hemisphere. So can some people who are more right hemisphere dominant still have overactive frontal lobes? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. You can you can have all kinds of combinations. <laughs> oh, interesting. So I am definitely more right hemisphere dominant and I have I was diagnosed as ADHD, which I always thought was like you're running around touching everything, but for me it's not. Like for me I can hyper focus on one thing but not see anything else and just see all the components of this one big thing and how to get it done, but then laser focus on that. Whereas, you know, to this day, I'm not a complete messy person, but not a really clean person. My husband's uh, like Danny Tanner from Full House, where he's just like cleaning the floors every day and mopping. So I drive him crazy a little bit, but I could walk over a pile for three months and be like, I'll get to it, but I can't get to it until this one thing mm-hmm. is done. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering too, because as I've always kind of seen ADD and ADHD, I think of it as my superpower. And I believe that there's probably different levels of it where you could break it down into multiple different diagnoses, right? It's just kind of all categorized and as one right now yeah i um yeah i and and just to say you know i i am a psychiatrist but i the further i got into psychiatry the more i realized i dislike these labels yeah i i I, you know it's 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 what it's doing is it's trying to mold everybody into a particular way that your brain works and 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 we're we're wired differently and, and there's a place for everybody i really don't think that people would be born with you know what we call add which is less developed frontal lobes if there wasn't some way in which that then there's a a benefit to that i mean that's what what i've i've seen over and over again is that and that's what these autistic children are teaching us is that you can have what we call label as deficits in one area but oftentimes then that people have all of these other abilities you know a lot of there are just so many people who've had add who are just brilliant artists and and whatnot and because our educational system puts such a you know, heavy, heavy, heavy uh, load of left-brain-oriented material in front of kids, right. then, you know, then the ones who are more right-hemisphere-oriented, they, they, they oftentimes develop really poor self-esteem, thinking that they're stupid, or they may even get labeled that. And they're, it's not that. It's that you, their brains work differently. Yeah. And they're, they're, the problem is everybody just getting, you know, cookie cutter railroaded into the same curriculum. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Beautiful. Thank you so much for saying that because that's what I felt for so long. 
I think it's such a powerful message because as you look at it, I mean, can you say, or is there any data on that to say, well, 50% of the population have less frontal lobe activity? Is it like half and half people are more less frontal lobe activity and 50% are highly active frontal lobe? It's hard to say what the exact numbers are. But, and, and the other thing is, back to your, when you were talking about that you had ADHD, but you, didn't, you weren't hyperactive. And that's a misnomer, this idea that, that you have to be hyperactive. I mean, that's the difference between ADD and HDHD. That H stands for the hyperactivity thing. But also, girls who have ADD tend to be different than boys who have ADD. A lot of girls aren't so hyperactive. So it's kind of a combination, you know, that's, it's more boys that are, are that hyperactive. Uh, girls tend to have more of the, what gets considered more of a dreamy kind of ADD, where they're just kind of drifting off into some fantasy or something. Yes, 100%. <laughs> that's where I like to be. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, very interesting. Well, Dr. Diane, this has been just such a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about your book or to buy your book to learn more about you? Okay. Um, I invite them to come to my website and I, I have copies of my book. They can order them from me and contact me through my website. And the, the website is D-R-D-I-A-N-E-H-E-N-N-A-C-Y. Dot com. So it's drdianehennessy.com. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Diane. I, I so appreciate your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You too. Bye. Bye. Friends, if you'd like to hear from your angels and loved ones on the other side, book a one-on-one session via phone, FaceTime, or Zoom. You can also work with me one-on-one when you register to take the Angel Reiki School online to develop and use your own unique spiritual gifts. If you're just looking to be able to connect with your own personal angels, the Angel Communication online course will teach you how to hear, feel, and connect with your personal angels more clearly. Friends, if you get benefit from this podcast, please subscribe, rate us five stars, and ask a friend to listen. Don't forget to look in the show notes to see the winner of this month's free drawing. You're entered into the drawing when you write a five-star positive review and email it over to us so that we know how to contact you when you win. Now, if you have time, I want you to pause and do some energy work with me for a moment to lighten, clear, and reset your own energy. To start, I want you to take two deep breaths. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Friends, as I walk you through this, I want you to use your imagination as an energy tool. Friends, your imagination isn't something that's not real. Your imagination is what every human being uses to create physical reality. How does a painter know what to paint? How does a sculptor know what to sculpt? How does a writer know what to write? They see it all within their mind, within the imagination, before it flows through them and is created within physical reality. Friends, I want you to start by seeing yourself surrounded by thousands of angels. These are all angels that work directly for God and they circle around you. They have this light, airy, warm, yummy presence to them. And my friends, they are simply pure love and they radiate their love from their being to yours. I want you to take a moment to just breathe deeply in and out as you see and feel the presence of all of these angels surrounding you, sending their love and light energy to you.
Friends, next, I want you to see yourself surrounded by your loved ones on the other side. Your angels haven't gone anywhere. They're still right there, but now steps in your loved ones on the other side. Greet them. Welcome them. Take a moment within your imagination to give them the biggest hug and kiss. Friends, as we do this healing work together, I want you to see that every single being that is surrounding you is just surrounding you because they are connected to God and they want to help you as a soul here on earth to lift your energy, to make it lighter, to take any heaviness out of your aura, chakras, and body. In order for them to help you with this, what I want you to do is voice to them. See yourself in your imagination telling your angels, your loved ones on the other side, God energy of course is there too. Tell them what you are afraid of. I want you to be specific and explain your fears to them now. Now, friends, I want you to see your loved ones and angels on the other side comforting you, holding you, wiping away your tears. I want you to see them telling you that you're going to be okay. Your family is going to be okay. I want you to see them showing you in their way from the other side that they are there helping you every step of the way and that they will never, ever leave your side. Friends, I want you to see or feel God energy, this pure white radiant light pouring down from above over you. And as you feel this pure love and light, this gentle waterfall just pouring over your head, filling your body, filling your auric field to the outside of you, filling every inch of your being around you. I want you to feel that as this light energy comes in, the highest vibration that is as it gently pours into your being, I want you to feel how all the heaviness within you just releases. With the snap of your finger, God takes every ounce of heavy, low vibrational energy within you. And with that snap of the finger, God turns all of it into the highest vibration, love, light, energy. Friends, I want you to imagine within your imagination, your DNA strand. Now, the way that spirit shows me the DNA and what it looks like is if you could imagine that double helix and that within that double helix are millions or billions of doors and windows. And those doors and windows open and close. And as they do, some serve your highest health and good some do not. What I want you to do is say this prayer with me. My friends, this energy work does not have to take a lot of time. You're going to hear me say, use the snap of your fingers because within that snap of the fingers, your intention shifts the energy within your body. So you can say it 
but please believe it. Know like you know like you know within your heart that you are changing the energy, the frequency within you to be pure, complete health. So say this little prayer with me now. God, please close all the doors and windows to my DNA that don't serve my highest health. With a snap of your fingers, see those doors and windows close. And God, please open all the doors and windows to my DNA that do serve my highest health. See those doors and windows open with a snap of your fingers. What I want you to do now is see yourself healthier than ever come September of this year. Daydream, visualize about what that health looks like and feels like to you within your body come September of this year. Take a moment to do this work right now and I'll come back to you with my voice in one minute. Friends, I want you to believe like you believe like you believe that you, your family, your friends, you are protected. You are safe. You are secure. Your angels are looking out for you. God is looking out for you. Your loved ones are looking out for you. See yourself as healthier than ever come September of this year. Now I want you to pray with me for a moment for everyone else. God Please protect our nurses, doctors, and all healthcare professionals around the world. God, may you give each of them strength and protect them. God, please also protect all people who work in grocery stores, food service, or delivery. God, may you give each of them the strength and protection that they need. For all people who are suffering from COVID-19 themselves, God, may you take care of them and heal all who are able to be healed. Surround them with your divine protection. Surround them with angels and help every cell within their body to become completely 100% healthy again. God, for every person who has lost a job or had their income reduced, please clearly show them the path to healing, safety, security, Whisper to them in their hearts the direction that you would have them go. God, for every child on this planet, please help them to receive the attention, love, nurturing, and care that they so desperately need. God, please surround them with angels and allow them to feel the divine presence of your love and warmth. For those filled with hatred, God, We ask you to transmute that hate within their hearts into love energy, and we ask you to open up their hearts to make shifts and positive changes to help them raise their vibration. And everyone who is helping with the COVID-19 effort or response in some way, God, please be with each person who needs your strength. Clearly guide them and protect them with whatever they need at this time. Friends, finally, I want you to visualize Thanksgiving of this year. I want you to take a moment of silence to experience this daydream within your mind. See every single family member and friend and loved one there at the dinner table. See them happy, healthy. Feel the gratitude of this Thanksgiving beyond any other Thanksgiving in the past. Gratitude for being all together. Gratitude for all being healthy. Gratitude for the lessons learned. Gratitude for the relationships that grew deeper. 
and the love that is between you all. Again, my friends, see your spirit team on the other side telling you that you are going to be okay. See them helping you. My friends, God loves you. Your spirit team loves you. I love you. Open up your heart like French doors to all of the unexpected blessings that they're trying to bring into your life right now. May you go forth with your day feeling lighter and living in the high vibration that is God. Go forth in your day surrounded by angels and your spirit team on the other side protecting you. Allow yourself to just be. Allow yourself to live in the high vibrational frequency that is God and carry it with you throughout your day. Friends, I have to have a disclaimer at the end. This podcast is to educate, inspire, and entertain you on your personal journey towards health and happiness. It is not intended to replace care best provided by qualified professionals. And it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.